Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. The series, I didn't plan it to be a series, but it turned out to be three parts, and I'm just going to end it here. I could go on, but um, and I put the cost for the K because Cornelia started with a K, and I was like, oh, it's just K cost, so you get it. But anyway, it is cost of Cornelia. Um, the first of that series was Grapes and Marbles, Characteristics of a Genuine Community. And then we did Scandalous Mercy, a Jesus-centered community. And so today we're going to talk about the cost of Cornelia. Uh, Cornelia, uh, found in your Strong's Concordance 2842, is a Greek word that only occurs about 20 times in the Bible. Cornelia primarily means fellowship or communion or sharing things in common. Uh, we first see it in Acts 2.42, where it reads, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Prayers, And that fellowship within that verse is koinonia. So what we're going to do today is talk about koinonia, um, talk about fellowship and how we as the body of Christ to fellowship with one another and what that looks like. And then we're going to go into the cost, what, what having that community, that koinonia, will cost you. Um, this is not going to be an exciting message, I don't think. But maybe it will be. I don't know. You might get some, you'll get something out of it for sure. Um, but the cost of koinonia. Fellowship is a key aspect of the Christian life. Believers in Christ are to come together uh, as much as possible and love one another, faith, share faith, and encourage one another. The essence of koinonia can be found in John, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. And it says, This is the message which I have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have koinonia, a fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that fellowship with one another brings forth light. And it is in the one another's that we find how to fellowship with each other. Um, and so we're going to look at 10, I think. <laughs> Ways that we should, when we get together, what we should do when we fellowship with one another. Um, does it make sense? We're gonna, so, and in this koinonia, we're going to talk about the price, what that costs. So first, we're going to, uh, koinonia is uh, kindly, when we get together, fellowship with one another, we should show kindly affection or devotion. Uh, and what is that? Romans 12, 10. It says, be devoted to one another in love. So that devoted, in some uh, versions it say maybe uh, show kind affection or be kindly affectionate to one another. So that kindly affection means to love each other as friends. Uh, the Greek word in Strong's Concordance is 5387. It's storgos. Storgos uh, is natural or family love. Uh, so we should love one another as family. Um, 
And so that is that kindly affection that we should know. We should share it one another when we fellowship. So it makes sense that we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ because those are, this is our family. And so this is a kind affection that we should show to one another. Now, some of you may have grown up in families that were somewhat dysfunctional and did not show uh, kind affection. <laughs> we're not meaning that here. <laughs> but we mean the kindly affectionate that we should do with one another that natural family love that you have for one another, and we should have that here in our fellowship. Also in Romans 12:10, it talks about honor. So later it says, honor one another above yourselves. So it first says, be devoted or be kindly affectionate to one another. And then it also says, honor one another. And that honor can be found in the Strong Concordance 5092. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'm real deep in looking up the meaning of words in the Greek and it's just how I, I'm, I'm, I need to know what the word says and what it meant at that time, um, because a lot of times can be a lot can be lost in translation. And so I want to know what it meant and bring out some more flowery language than what this English language uh, offers sometimes. So to honor means to value or pay respect, uh, especially to put above uh other things so we value one another or pay respect or i will put you above so honoring you means that i value you and and honor here also means time um so i honor you by spending time with you that is the way we honor our spouses you know their language my wife's language is uh quality time i'm a mix of probably all five depending on what year what time of the year it is (laughs) she doesn't like that because it changes all the time I keep her guessing. Uh, but hers is consistently quality time. So I have no excuse when I do not meet her love language because I know what it is, uh, quality time. And that's what she, she wants. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should spend time with one another, quality time. We should enjoy coming together as a body of Christ, loving our brothers and sisters and honoring them, putting time with them and putting them above ourselves. Um, also, we should live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 1 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In our previous message, we talked about being associated with people who don't look like us or may not be in the same uh, situation that we're in and that we are to love them the same way. And it says here that we are to live in harmony and in this body, there's diversity here, and we are to live in harmony with one another. We are an example to the, what the world should be or what the world should look like. We should live in harmony with one another. Uh, the Greek word for harmony is phronio, phronio, F-R-O-N-E-H-O, phronio, I think that's right. <laughs> it, it means to have understanding or to think. So we are to have understanding about one another. Now, how do we have understanding about one another? We spend time with one another. <laughs> That's the only way that I'm going to understand you is I get to know you and spend time with you. I can't, nah, I can't understand you from a distance. I have a perception of what you may be or how you may be, but to really understand who you are and what you're about, I really have to get to know you. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we should really be willing to get to know one another. Uh, also, it says, accept one another. Romans 15 and 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you 
in order to bring praise to God. And that step means prolambano, prolambano. And it used, uh, I take myself, I take aside, I welcome you. So I take, I take you to myself. I take you aside and I welcome you. It is different from hospitality, but I welcome you, I accept you, uh, I lay hold of who you are, I receive you aggressively with strong personal interest. This is what that accept means. So with strong personal interest, I want to understand you, and then I will accept you. Not, need, not meaning that I accept your sin or, you know, you doing outlandish things, but I accept the Christ in you, and I love you with Christ. Also, we are to serve one another. Galatians 5 and 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. That serve means dulio, it means to serve, willingly give over your prerogative and your self-governing. So I'm going to give up what I want, you know, I don't necessarily want to serve, I mean, I don't, how many of you have been a waiter or waitress or server in a restaurant? Not many. Maybe I say you may have the gift. We have one. I'm sure that is not always a fun thing to do. <laughs> you have to deal with a whole lot of different attitudes, and you have to put, put your own desires and selfishness above, put other people's desires above your own. And you may be tired that day. You may not feel like serving and getting coffee or drink to someone else, but because you wanted to serve one another in love and, and be humble to one another, then you will serve one another as in Galatians 5, 13. It also says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. It's just kind is in Strong's of Concordance 5543, which means uh, Christos. Uh, it means serviceable. It means good, useful, gentle, pleasant, kind. Kind and compassionate, meaning that uh, the kind is useful service. So not just being kind for kind's sake, but you're going to be useful in your kindness. So your kindness will actually be performing a service for someone else. That's deeper than just being kind, right? Because I can be kind and cordial and say, hey, to want to someone or speak. And that, too, in an American sense, that has been kind. Um, but this kindly means I'm being kind with a service, with a serviceable good. So that, must, that means that I must understand you, let's get back to some of the other things we talked about, and know what you need to service that good. And that is being kind. Not just your general, oh, he was a nice person, he's a kind person. But I am servicing a need that you have in particular. And the only way I know that is to get to know you. And then I can show kindness. The compassionate here, so it says be kind and compassionate to one another. Compassion, uh, it is you slages nos. I pronounced that totally wrong, but I hope that you get the picture. It's the Greek word. Uh, it is tenderhearted, merciful, compassionate, bowels of compassion. And it's said in the concordance, living with guts. So this is just not a, a superficial compassion or 
you saw a need or saw something and you were slightly moved. This is I'm moved from my belly. It so touched me deeply that I had to do something about it. It's living out of my gut. My gut tells me, man, this has burdened me so that I must act. So it's just not general compassion. It it brings a, a new level of that compassion when it says living with guts. I hope we all live with guts. <laughs> Have some compassion. Also, it says, uh, teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through songs and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Uh, so it says, teach and admonish. And I won't get into teach is, is really simple, but to admonish, it means to warn, counsel, or exhort, uh, supplying doctrinal or scriptural substance, urging them to choose or to turn to God's best. So it's just not a, you know, I'm going to tell you something gently. I'm going to urge you. I'm going to admonish you. You must choose God. You must make the right decision. I'm going to pr- provoke you and, and push you to choose God. So it gives a, it's not, so it's stronger than just kind of saying or teaching, but it's teaching and with some power admonishing you. I'm going to nudge you in the right direction. Now you may resist and push away, but at least I'm going to nudge. I'm going to do my part in teaching and admonishing my brothers and sisters here. And also, we should, as Cornelia, encourage one another. And this encouragement is similar, is the same as exhorting that we talked about in, I think, the first message. We came out of Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider one another, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly. Remember we talked about that? Um, that was the marbles and grapes. Uh, but exhorting one another that we make more of the day approaching. Uh, this was paracleleo which means to be close by and to make calls, and we use that as an umpire. And so this, is, this encouragement is the, is the same word in Strong's Concordance 3870, the Greek word for exhorting. And so we're going to be close by to make, call, to make calls. So we're gonna, it's like an umpire. We're going to be so close and so understanding and so connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're going to be able to call out their blind spots. We're going to be say, hey, look, there's a pitfall here. You may be, be careful about that. And they're going to do the same for us. They're going to challenge us, and they're going to maybe show us things that we didn't see. They're going to give us insight into our lives that we may not be able to see. That is that kind of encouragement. We're going to encourage them in the way so, so much that it's personal. It's not just a general uh, God is good all the time kind of encouragement. No, this is a personal, you know what I need because you're with me. You live in life beside me every day, day in and day out. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I know how to encourage you. I know what you need. If you're struggling at work, I know that. And so I'm going to encourage you to do your best at work. If you're having family situations or difficulties, I'm going to encourage you to, uh, you know, pray for and pray with you for your family. And you will do the same for me. That is that kind of encouragement that we're going to do, exhorting one another or encouraging one another. Uh, we have two more. Show hospitality. We're going to show hospitality to one another. 
And then hospitable means loving strangers, uh, loving of people, and inviting people in. Uh, and that is a strong concordance, 5382. And then love one another. First Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another, and it goes even further, it says love one another deeply from the heart. And this is the agape, agapeo love. Uh, this is love, wishing you well, taking pleasure, uh, denotes love of reason, esteem, and properly believing and embracing God's will and obeying them through his power. So I'm loving you and embracing God's will for your life and encouraging you in that. This is koinonia. This is what we mean by fellowship, coming together as a body of Christ. This is true, genuine fellowship. And so now I ask, what is this worth? I have an example. So we lived in a neighborhood in Lynchburg uh, in a different area that was closer to all my life surrounds coffee, by the way. So, <laughs> so uh, we lived in an area in, in uh, Lynchburg that was closer to a 7-Eleven on Bedford Avenue. We live off Rivermont. And so we recently moved earlier this summer uh, to a neighborhood off of the old Old Forest Road. Um, and so because I, we lived off Rivermont, I used to go to the 7-Eleven on Bedford Avenue. And I went there every day. Every day I went to work and some days when I didn't have to go to work to get coffee. So those people knew me. They knew my patterns. They knew when I was going to work. They knew when I was working at night. They knew when I was working at day. They know the days where I was off. They get to know my kids. They knew when my wife was out of town because I was buying pizza. And they said, so she would say, your wife's out of town? I said, yes, I'm buying pizza here because we got to eat and I'm not cooking right now. <laughs> um, so they knew me. They knew my name. You know, when I come in, they would say, oh, hey, Virgil, how you doing? So when I moved, I told my wife, I'm still going to the Bedford Avenue uh, 7-Eleven, even though it's not directly on the way to work. It's kind of out of the way. But I go there because they know me. It's comfortable. It's, the, my, it's, it's my people. It's like it's home. They know me so much so uh, that there are certain things that I buy, and they know. And they, they, they probably could buy what I need. I could walk in the store, and they could have what I need ready for me. They really could. And so they were discontinuing a certain candy that I would buy, and so the lady said, I told the regional manager that we could not discontinue that candy because Virgil comes to this store and gets this candy. I said, yes. <laughs> so they have that candy for me. This is, this is the kind of place this is, right? Yeah. So you can't go anywhere else, right? You have to go. I have to go there and get that candy because they know. And if I don't get it, they say, you're not getting your candy today? I said, no, I got like 10 in my lunchbox right now. Let me work through Let me work through those, and I'll get some more. So that's how they know me. It is worth the extra time to go out of my way to get there because that's that community that I have there. They know me. And there's another 7-Eleven that is probably more directly on my way to work. But, and I go there sometimes just from running late. Um, but I always say, oh, this is not the same. Uh, <laughs> I got to go home. I got to go back. Um, so what does this type of community cost? Or what will it cost us or you? 
to have that fellowship. It cost me the extra time, the gas to go. I, I, it's three miles extra out of the way. I've clocked it already. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I do it faithfully. Uh, but yeah, that's what it, it is to me to have that type of community. So, what does it cost, or what should it cost us to have this type of community? To have a community where people are encouraging you, they're showing hospitality. They love you. They understand you. They accept you. You know, they know who you are. They love you. They admonish you and they teach you. Uh, they want to live in harmony with you. They serve you. They're kind and compassionate. What does that cost us? The cost is high. Turn to Luke 14. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Luke, Luke 14, 25. Uh, we can go through 34, I think, or maybe 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate. And that hate is not like the hate we think of, but it love less comparatively. So we're going to love less comparatively. His father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Want to first, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see what you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone sees it and will ridicule, ridicule you, saying this person began to, began to build and wasn't able to finish or suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whosoever has has an ear, let them hear. So in order to have Cornelia, and I know this is the bad part of the message, right? <laughs> in order to have this fellowship with one another, uh, we must first be disciples of Christ. That means we're going to follow Christ. And in order to follow him, we must die. That's the gist of it, right? <laughs> we must die to ourselves. Uh, Matthew ten thirty eight says, Whosoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Luke nine twenty four twenty five says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let you lose or forfeit their self or soul? And then 1 Corinthians 15, 31 says, I protest, protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. This is what Paul is saying. Dying to self and following Christ keeps us. Salty. 
not the salty in the sense that we have an attitude or something like that. <laughs> but the way to test your love, to test your compassion, to test your being able to be in harmony. Now, those are words that mean nothing if it's not action behind it. So I can say, yeah, I'm in harmony with my church body, but I really don't spend time with them, and I don't see them that often, and I come once a month, and, you know, so I'm in harmony with them. But when you begin to live life with people, then your harmony is tested. So then you know whether you can live in harmony. Uh, And then that will test and make sure that if you are a believer and you believe the word, then you will do the things so that you can live in harmony. So it's one thing to say it, but then I have to act out on that. Dying yourself keeps us salty. Uh, salt uh, has several uses. Figuratively, it means God is preserving or seasoning a believer as they grow. Uh, and there are two things that God wanted us to do, the two commandments. Uh, we all know them. One was to uh, Lord the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and then also love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the two, two commandments. And the reason he said love your neighbor as yourself because it would test your cornania. It would test your fellowship because we could, he could have left it at just one. Love the Lord your God with all your might and all your soul and all your strength. But he knew that there would be some of us who say, well, I love God, but I don't have to deal with his people. And there are people who say that. I love God, but I don't go to church because those people are hypocrites or I don't deal with people. And so the one which is important is to love him with all your might and also, but to the real true test, if you love him with all your might and all your soul and all your strength, is that if you can love his people, can you have true fellowship, koinonia, with his people? And so many of us say, yeah, I love God, right? I hope you do, yeah. We love him, yes, we love him. Um, but can we love his people in the true sense and have that koinonia? Salt purifies, preserves, uh, used for flavoring. Salt can heal wounds and create thirst. And those are preached right by itself. I'm not going to go into those. <laughs> Especially the creating thirst. You know, we talk about salt, creating thirst. And we are to be the salt of the earth, which meaning that we create the earth being thirsty for Christ, right? And that's deep. I ain't going to go there. But, yeah, that's not my message today. But I might preach that one time. <laughs> It purifies, preserves, flavoring, uh, healing wounds. That's a good one, too, and creating thirst. Faithful Christians must fight to retain their saltiness. That means retain. we must fight to retain that fellowship, that koinonia, because that, that's what preserves us. That's, what, that's where the test is. That's what keeps us salty. That's what the world looks at. When he looks at the church, he looks at how do they act with one another. What are they doing? And that's what they look at. And so many times it is conflated with other things that the church has added and not the truth. Dying to self helps us grow and have eternal life. John 12, 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. And so I ask you, are you willing to give up your life for fellowship, for Cornelia? And it is, and it is a requirement. It is not even a question because it is, it is a commandment that we follow him. And following him meaning that we will be his disciples, meaning that we must die to ourselves. I have this uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, I'm ending with this. It's something he wrote. And I just said, I'll just read what he wrote. It was good enough for him. <laughs> it's good enough for me. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes, writes, the terrible thing, the most impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment you now, your natural self, but to kill it. <laughs> No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over your whole natural self, all your desires, what you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit I want. I will not give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And this is C.S. Lewis, not me. I, I, have, I never had a cavity, so I'm good there. <laughs> uh, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was because of this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. <laughs> I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And that meant going to the dentist. <laughs> I knew that. I knew they started fiddling around in all sorts of teeth, and they had not yet begun to ache. <laughs> but they were going to steal food with those other teeth. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> if you gave them an inch, they would take a mile. <laughs> Isn't that like any doctor, right? They're going to pry it around until they find something wrong with you. <laughs> Now, if I had my, uh, have put it my way, our Lord is like the dentist. <laughs> if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin which they are ashamed of or which is obviously spoiling daily life for them, like a bad temper or drunkenness. Well, he will cure that all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. <laughs> this is why he warned people to count up the cost before coming, to, before coming Christians. 
make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less other than that. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor least you rest, until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you as he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less. The goal toward which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. No power in the whole universe except yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you are in for. It is very important that you realize that. If we do not, then we are very likely to start pulling back and resisting him after a certain point. I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that that were obvious nuisance, we're inclined to feel as though things are good and we don't need any more help. He has done well and we wanted him to do, and he should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. (laughs) But this is the fatal mistake. The question is not what he Not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourselves living in a house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you know that those jobs needed to be done. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking down the house, parts of the house, and he starts <laughs> knocking down parts of the house about, about in a way that it hurts abnormally and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out the new, uh, throwing out a new ring here, putting the extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. (laughs) You thought you were going to be a decent little cottage. He's building a palace, which he intends to live in himself. Let's see, yes, Lord. How many of us have that very thing, you know, that we had a plan and we had thoughts for our lives and we saw some flaws, and we asked the Lord to, you know, help in those little things. But it's so true and accurate that God wants all of us. He doesn't want a small part of you. He doesn't want the parts that you're just showing to everyone else. He wants all of you, the good and the bad. He loves us so much that he paid the ultimate price. He sent his son to die on the cross. We can not only nail our sins and our faults, but we too must die on that cross so that we can live and have cornonia, that true fellowship. So this is my prayer today that we be willing to die to ourselves in every way possible <laughs> and daily that we die to ourselves 
And in that dying, we begin to love one another and have the fellowship with one another as Christ calls us, has called us to have. It is not easy. Um, I don't make any qualms about, you know, this example about building a house. I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you start tearing up floors and you see there's some dry rod or something in there that you didn't expect. And the Lord is going to take all of that out. He's willing to. He knows what he's bought in you, but he knows what he wants to make you as well. And he wants to make us the church. The salt of the earth, a light to the world. And we can't afford to lose our saltiness because the world needs salt. It needs a church uh, that's willing to be that type of community for them. And when the world sees that, they're going to want to be a part of that. If we can't be this and we're just a club or social organization that they can get fulfillment anywhere else. You know, I can go join the Shriners or some Moose Lodge and have friends and hang out and then go about my business and be marble. <laughs> but we are connected. We're grapes. Let's stand to you. We'll close this out in prayer, and then Elder Sam is going to come close this out. But let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for warning us on today that as we grow to be the community that you've called us to be, that we must die to self, that we must put our own problems or selfishness aside and love others and as we do that other people will see about those problems that we have uh, whether it be with work or with family with friends or just personal issues or sin in our life that we're dealing with Lord God we are here as brothers and sisters in Christ to love and accept and care for one another to make us better Make us grow into the church that you've called us into. You're building a palace, not a cottage, <laughs> and you're going to live in it. And so we willingly accept uh, you being the potter, <laughs> and we are the clay. And you're making and molding us to perfect vessels. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give